0: midtown detroit studios of wdet this is detroit today another stark reminder of climate change and overwhelmed infrastructure has turned our lives upside down again over the weekend in southeast michigan we're going to talk today about what needs to change as we adapt to the inevitable growth of these violent storms and why we seem so slow to learn important lessons. Then we're going to talk about infrastructure in a national sense as a deal comes together for a massive federal investment in brick and mortar. That's all next on Detroit Today. Right now, the news from NPR. and Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. Before we start the show today, I just want to extend uh, condolences and good wishes to everybody here in Southeast Michigan who is still trying to bail out from the storms that happened over the weekend. I was actually out of town when it happened and I remember Seeing all of these blips on social media about how hard it was raining and how suddenly it was raining. And then pictures streaming in all the time, constantly since then, of destroyed basements and backyards that look like lakes. There is a lot of devastation out there. And uh, I I absolutely want to extend my best wishes to everybody that, uh, that you haven't lost too much and that uh, you are able to put your world back together uh, sometime sometime soon and get all of this out of the way and, and your life kind of back in order uh, in, in your home. I know how important all of that is. That is, of course, where we want to start the conversation today. There just was nowhere for the rain and the water to go Friday night. Six and a half inches of rainfall overwhelmed Metro Detroit's stormwater systems and caused widespread flooding on our freeways and the other roadways. Basements flooded. Cars were left stranded underwater. Tens of thousands of DTE Energy customers, of course, also lost power, something that also tends to happen when we experience these kind of storms. AT&T customers also lost service for much of the day on Saturday. Something that, if you think about it, is pretty dangerous given the reliance that we have on cell phones. Most people don't have landlines anymore, and if you don't have a phone at all, I think there's a danger of isolation uh, that 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 creeps into the picture. Uh, one of the worst parts of this weekend was, of course, how familiar all this was. It's only been seven years since the really crazy floods of 2014. And we've also had several other storms in the intervening years that caused minor flooding that uh, we hadn't seen before. As someone who grew up in this community in the 1970s and 80s and has lived here much of my life, I think there's there's no question that what we're experiencing is really different than what we used to, that We live in a place where the climate has changed. Uh, These are the kinds of events that we'd only expect to see maybe once in a lifetime. And now we experience them every few years. And the frustrating thing is that public officials are just not doing what needs to be done to build infrastructure that's resilient enough to handle this new reality. Not to mention the fact that we continue to fail to address climate change itself head on. So we want to hear from you today how you've been affected by all of these storms and floods, what's going on in your home, what's going on in your neighborhood, and what do you think we need to do to address these problems? It is it is beyond ironic that MDOT is asking people to... Not swim in the floodwaters on I-94, which MDOT says are going to be there for a while because they can't pump the water anywhere, that it won't return to the freeways. That's how overwhelmed the system is right now. There is no place to put this water, and the the freeway in some places is like a river. And, of course, I mean, people with poor judgment are Getting in the water and swimming around, which is dangerous in and of itself. But but just imagine how silly that would sound or would have sounded 10 or 20 years ago. The idea that you had to tell people not to swim in the freeways. So call and tell us, what do you think we need to do to not have, have this situation, not be in this place in our community? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313 313- Five seven seven one zero one nine, and you can use the hashtag Detroit Today, of course, on Twitter, and we'll try to work you into the conversation that way. But but especially, we want to hear from folks about just how they're doing. It's one of the things that I think is a hallmark of our show here. When things happen, when we face challenges or, or crises, we talk about how we're how we're doing, and I think it's a it's a way of connecting with each other. It's a way of supporting each other. It's a way of commemorating the things that, that that shape our lives. So again, 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter and put comments there and uh, we'll, we'll try to work you into the conversation that way. I want to bring a really expert voice into the conversation to talk about uh, what we're experiencing and what we ought to do with it. Uh, Bill Schuster is professor and chair of the Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering at Wayne State University. Bill, welcome to Detroit Today.
1: Morning, Steve. How are you doing?
0: Good. Um, I hope that uh, your life is dry uh, right now. I know. Uh, we're
1: drying out here on, in Gross Point Park in Jefferson Chalmers area where I live. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's been a Pretty crazy
0: weekend. Well, and that side yeah. of town seems to have gotten absolutely walloped. I guess because a pumping station failed uh, yeah. on on the east side, and that that made it even harder to get the water uh, away exactly. from people. Yeah. You know,
1: water moves. Uh, water always wins in these situations. Yeah. And,
0: yeah. Uh,
1: your your introduction this morning has largely, you know, covered a lot of you know a lot of things that I'd like to talk about with you this morning.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, we have the unfortunate convergence of more frequent heavy rainfalls that occur in a shorter period of time, but also that's converging with uh, basically a decline, a long-term decline in our infrastructure, you know, that's meant to handle uh, these, these events. And so if they're, if they're in marginal condition to handle even the normal events, then, when we get these larger, you know, events, or rainfall events happening, where does the water go? Right, and that's and that's exactly what happened. You know, the um, Saturday morning flooding event was an equal opportunity disruptor and destroyer of health, property, and morale. However, you know, having the resources to cope and recover, you know, that's often a matter of privilege and your socioeconomic standing. Mm. Um. The, the infrastructure that surrounds us, though, you know, the, whole ma- you know, the whole practice of civil environmental engineering is around building, maintaining the infrastructure that provides services, you know, critical services to, to us human critters, and uh, you know, going back to the event, the facts of the matter are as you pointed out, they sound more and more familiar. They had an unusually large amount of rain that fell in an unusually short period of time, so this overwhelmed the design capacities of the critical infrastructure mm-hmm. that we that we rely on. In the case of the M. Dot uh, freeway sump pumps, you know, there's people power. You know, do we have enough people to go around? Do we have? You know, we actually lost electrical power and communications with a lot of the Uh, systems, you know, the the sump pumps. And so with debris-clogging inlets that are meant to drain our freeways, our streets, um, you know, our houses, uh, water concentrates. And if it doesn't have anywhere to go, if it's sitting on, you know, like a turf landscape, it's going to infiltrate and percolate downward where it can flow into basements and enter the sewer system, causing backups. But when the water can't spread out, it just gets deeper, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it starts uh, going into the, that third dimension. And so, again, you know, in this civil environmental experience, consider the broader scope of infrastructure that renders services to us. This includes transportation, water, air, and soil resources, waste management, um, the ability of our structures to withstand you know, different stress- stresses, and then the construction Disciplines. When you look at what a catastrophic flood does to each of these infrastructures, flooded freeways, flooded basements, uncontrolled sewer discharges, the incredibly, the huge pulse of solid waste and hazardous waste volume that has to somehow go into our waste management stream, the degrading impact on our foundations and structures and our buildings and houses, you know, the flood basically severs or disrupts all these services. And so when we talk about resilience, you know, this is this is the starting point. But we really know what needs to be done, it, you know, we we start getting into some conversation about equity
0: here. Yeah, sure.
1: Um, but so, I, I should stop
0: and... Well, you know, well, before we get to that, and I, and I think that's a super important dimension of this, right? Uh, who is who is first in line really to to experience the, the the upgrades and the improved maintenance that that we need to to make sure that these things don't happen? But but before we get there, I I, I just want to talk about the, the the global picture a little bit. Uh, I remember maybe 10, 12 years ago writing about. Uh, infrastructure quite a bit here in southeast michigan and writing about Mm -hmm. the mounting price tag for backlogged upgrades and maintenance uh and the last i knew the number at dwsd um which is now which is now glia of course responsible uh, it's a shared right Uh, i I mean it's not just one one entity anymore but but the the number was 1.8 billion dollars and that was that's more than a decade ago that i remember that number being and the the, the, just get, the costs just getting right larger so and larger. where are we where are we now i mean if if we wanted to start in earnest to to remake the infrastructure around here in a way that would be uh, better suited to deal with these kinds of storms what what, what kind of numbers would we be looking at well,
1: you know, clearly we're well into the billions at that point. I, I should, I think, it'd be of interest to the uh, terrorist listeners here. The American Society of Civil Engineers they actually developed a scorecard, or a, actually a grade card, mm-hmm. for uh, American infrastructure. And uh, as a country, as a nation, we routinely, in the area of stormwater and wastewater, we're around, we're around a D, you know. And basically, failing um, the the extent to which our infrastructure has degraded, and you know, it's a it's a commentary not only on um, the degradation and the increased stresses on our infrastructure, and especially in the case of stormwater and wastewater. But it's the it's that accumulation, you know, the burden just keeps getting larger and larger mm-hmm. over time it's uh, it really is a matter of I think social and political will to make the resources available um, but once those uh, resources are available we really need you know, federal, state, local you know, county, city and then um, you know basically our, our private or NGO organizations mm-hmm. to, to coordinate and to, to set data, uh, objectives, you know, basically doing a groundwater study, how the river interacts with our, our groundwater in Jefferson Chalmers, where the water goes in that area, you know, starting from the basics. Um, and, and for any any type of engineering design, we need the appropriate data to do this. It's not impossible. This is not rocket science. Hmm. And uh, so I could hold at that at that point. I mean, yeah. that's a
0: really good that's a really good overview of what what we face, and and the the will to do it is the thing that is always missing. I mean, a lot of people talk about not wanting to pay more for water, for instance, as a way of providing Gliwa with enough money to do this kind of you know forward thinking infrastructure repair and 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 upgrade and because of that then you know public officials don't pick it up and and decide that uh, that it needs to be done but but i also want to i do want to get to the, the the part of your research that is about diversity and equity in services uh from a civil environmental infrastructure perspective we do pretty poorly with that around here as as well, and of course uh, you know a lot of the hardest hit areas over the weekend were in detroit in 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 poor communities there's a reason that those places are more vulnerable than others
1: well there's a our, our healthy urban waters team uh, led by Dr. Carol Miller uh, within my department they've characterized the multifold negative human health impacts of flooding on residents throughout. Southeastern Michigan and particularly in Detroit it's clear what impacts this is having and so this this directs us then to basically provide a compelling set of reasons that there's no doubt <laughs> we need to do something about the infrastructure at this point mm-hmm. and and we we understand I think from an engineering standpoint very clearly you know, uh, what can be done, what needs to be done, and having those resources. But it's also a matter of data equity. This is something that I've been thinking a lot about lately. Uh, I worked for the Environmental Protection Agency as a uh, research hydrologist for 17 years. And you know the way that we understand how water moves through American communities, and I worked for a national lab at the time, my focus now is you know, Wayne State, An urban serving university in a majority black city. Mm -hmm. And what, you know, do we really understand the fundamentals of, again, how water moves through our communities so that we can then design in the sustainability and the resilience? You know, if we're going to shoot for the moon in Jefferson Chalmers, it's rectifying the seawall on the east side of. Fox run Fox Creek um, it's it's developing understanding where the water goes within the Jefferson Chalmers landscape and how that's tied to the dynamics of the river in creating a conveyance to move that water out of the system the problem is as in any kind of flooding situation we've got too much water in in the space in the landscape either above or below and Unless we're actually removing that water, you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. getting that water out of the system, it's very difficult for our standard drainage infrastructure. We can't depend on our wastewater infrastructure, which are largely con- combined sewer systems, to accept you know all the not only the wastewater that we produce, the septic flow, but also on top of that, the stormwater flow. Mm-hmm. So, getting back to data equity, can we can we pull back and understand first working with again federal, state, county, city, coordinate, get this you know get the data together. At that point, you know, groups like you know civil environmental engineering department at, at Wayne State, we can start to translate that data into actual resilient and sustainable designs. And that you know make you know kind of guide that that process, um, because we're we're really up against a, uh, we can't we can't afford this type of you know the human costs and you know, of course you know just functioning the infrastructure. Mm-hmm. We're pretty well downstream of other communities that that uh, that serve. You know, we got the the big wastewater treatment plant. Down river, you know all paths <laughs> all wastewater paths lead to that plan yes. and unfortunately, w- within the, inter- the intervening infrastructure you know between our, our sister communities, um, the infrastructure is in really tough shape. you know we have what we call rainfall derived inflow and infiltration. when the water soaks into the into the soil moves in around our pipes that have damaged joints and cracks and you know, it's very old infrastructure that water just flows into the pipes, creating additional burden on the treatment costs. So getting a handle on these things, it's a very, you know, again, it pulls, this pulls every aspect of the civil environmental experience, mm. you know, but arguably we're pulling in, uh, social work. Uh, we, you know, we, Look broadly at the situation. You know, we we are now coping with a whole different slew of of pressures and issues. And I would I would say that we, as a society, you need to start, you know, working again, serving not only infrastructure but also uh, the human the coping response
0: yes. around these things. Yeah. Uh, Right. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue talking with uh, Bill Schuster, who's professor and chair of the Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering at Wayne State University. We're going to get to your calls and your social comments as well. If you want to join, give us a call, 313-577-1019. Let us know what's going on in your home and your community after this crazy storm and the flooding we continue to deal with. Uh, Also, let us know what you think we ought to do and what you might be willing to sacrifice, perhaps, uh, in order for us to have better infrastructure, infrastructure that's able to weather the increasingly violent and frequent storms that we experience 313-577-1019 is the number we'll be right back with more Detroit Today news music culture and community every,
2: every day. day on 1019 WDET
1: Detroit's NPR station
0: This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDETM. I'm Stephen Henderson, as always. Thanks for tuning in. We're talking about the tremendous storm we experienced here in southeast Michigan last week and the aftermath of that storm, the flooding that still people are trying to bail out of in their basements, on the roads, in people's yards, and even on the freeways here in Southeast Michigan. Uh, My guest is Bill Schuster. He's the professor and chair of the Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering at Wayne State University. And we want to hear from you about what is going on in your yard, in your basement, uh, in your community, and what you think we ought to be doing to make sure that uh, these these storms uh, don't have such a devastating effect on people's lives. 313-577-1019 is always the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, put comments there, and uh, we'll try to work into the conversation. Okay, we got a lot of response to get to here. So so bear with us. Uh, Melissa and East Point, you're up first. Melissa, what's on your mind?
2: Thank you for having me. Mm -hmm. Um, As a former disaster responder for the last uh, decade, I just wanted to reiterate the importance of not swimming in or being in flood water. Um, it's not just that it's it's, um, uh, it's something that they say you shouldn't do. The motor oil and chemicals from the up from the road, seeps up to the top and becomes a top layer of slick. Hmm. You also have hepatitis A that can be in that water. Hmm. Um, I think it's also important to talk about some safety measures, such as um, if you notice that there are bubbles in the water in your basement um, that you need to evacuate your home and call your consumer energy or DTE provider. Because that could
0: be gas, right?
2: Yeah, exactly, because that could be gas. Um, and then also the environmental impact of even once the water has gone the um, those type of contaminants can still be in the soil uh for months afterwards so it's really important um, if that you're in a flood area um, to to be aware of those environmental contaminants mm.
0: well uh, you know melissa i I really appreciate you calling and and sharing that information. With our with our listeners and and of course also want to thank you for uh, your service uh, as a former disaster responder. I mean, the, you know, the 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 need for that kind of info right now is so high, and uh, I, I'm really grateful that you were able to to call in and share that with uh, with our listeners. Uh, I, I want to read a social media comment and have you respond to it, uh, Bill Schuster. Um, uh, uh, Tobias on Twitter says he says, We've lived in Gross Point Farms for 15 years and have had three floods in 10 years. Gross Point has two problems. One, our house is in the inland district, which is a combined sewer and storm system. Two, Connor Creek Pump fails every time. Uh Tobias says the solution is to separate the sewer and storm systems. Uh, Bill, this is something that I've heard many times before people bring up that you know, we do have, I think, some places where it's a combined sewer and storm system. Can you explain why why it works that way, and whether it would be an improvement to try to to try to separate them?
1: Sure, separating our uh, our our septic and storm uh, water conveyances is definitely the brute force method of getting. Uh, Getting the volumes under control using a combined system, of course, um, not only do the volumes accumulate uh, very quickly, but we had, they also lead to uh, combined sewer overflows. Mm-hmm. basically the way that our systems were were built you know many many years ago it was to relieve you know, we start you know filling up the pipes with combined septic and uh, storm water uh, that flows. Basically, directly into our surface waters, um, it's it's not quite uh, not quite good for anybody. You know, we have beach closures uh, due to this, but we have ongoing uh, significant impacts uh, due to the the sewage basically getting untreated into the system. Getting back to the, the solution you know, via separation, I, I think our our political Folks will say, "Well, it's very expensive," and it is, and it's very disruptive. You're basically tearing up streets yeah. and uh, laying in new new pipes and separating out uh, these septic and storm flows. Uh, it can be part of the solution, and it's certainly uh, moving in that direction. But when you look at the the amount in like just the the, the near feet uh, or distance or you know. The miles mm-hmm. of, of, of uh, wastewater conveyances that we have they are very, actually very deep because we have to keep some sort of grade you know to keep keep them the water moving over very long uh, distances um, pulling that apart uh, you know building on top of it if necessary um, it's again this becomes a public works project and of course you know gross point uh lower east side in general struggle with this uh on next door you know next next door social media uh the east side just lit up um over the weekend you know hundreds of people you know reporting what's going on here mm-hmm. demands a comprehensive solution correct so we we do need to be looking into this as part of the solution, but I do want to, again get back to you know, how do we do this as a society? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're training uh, engineers for the future uh, to take on these issues. And uh, we're, we're in the position of also needing to pull together investment in infrastructure dollars that are spent in a way that um, that is guided by good data, equitable data, that's translated through, uh, I think, contemporary engineering practice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, I wish I could uh, wave a wand <laughs> and separate our sewers. And you know, there, there are opportunities when we when we when we do this. You know, there's creating a whole different, basically, transportation network and integrating. You know, basically. You know, residents getting more services from these infrastructures than before. You know, it, it's, we're working with a lot of outdated infrastructure. Yes. And many of these many of these aspects of the civil environmental experience.
0: Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's go to Robin in Detroit. Robin, what's on your mind? Uh, hi there. Hi.
2: Um, I'm curious. The, the Detroit Water Department. I realize it's, it's separate from the regional water system, but um, the the water department's been charging this drainage fee, uh, supposedly to reinvest into the mm-hmm. uh, infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So why don't all of the people using the, the regional system get this drainage charge? Why is it only for Detroit? Mm-hmm they get a lot more money if they
0: charged everyone. If they charged everybody, yeah, uh uh Rob I super uh appreciate the the call and the and the question that's a great question. Uh before we get to Bill Schuster to 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 answer that though, I I do want to note that we reached out to the Great Lakes uh Water Authority to try to get someone to come talk with us this morning about about all of this and and they were not able to do that but uh, we're gonna keep trying and and try to get someone on later this week from from gleewa to talk about the ways that they are trying to to meet these new challenges I know that they are they are focused on it and they are making an effort uh, I think uh, I'm not out of out of my lane saying that uh, the the money they have is is really insufficient to, to the task at hand uh, but but again I, I would love for them to, to be able to come and, and speak for themselves but but Bill Schuster this question about drainage fees which are are aimed at raising money to try to take better care of the system you know why aren't they more universal and why aren't there other kinds of things that, that we're thinking about that would raise the money to be able to to take take better care of the system well and I,
1: again I think it's really important for us to have a discussion. Uh, between DWSD and Gliwa. Uh, of course, um, when the city of Detroit was bankrupted, um, for whatever set of reasons, uh, GLEWA was formed and basically split off mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the infrastructure. And, uh, and I'm, I'm fairly new, uh, back in town about two years now. So I'm still getting familiar with the, you know, what is the separation, mm-hmm. you know, the responsibilities, um, you know, are there federal uh, responsibilities? You know, in some of the inland waters, uh, for or for the inland flooding, uh, it addresses the Corps of Engineers, you know, FEMA. Um, but I will defer <laughs> to to the GLIWA folks, sure. the DWSD folks, who who understand. I think these things much better. But here I am looking at my my uh, my bill. And, uh, for sewer services, it's, um, it's $66 for recycling. It's $9 there's, uh, for great lakes water, it's $61 and 34 cents. Mm. And so that's a considerable amount of my, um, my bill, I think, like other Detroiters, uh, or who are in the service area. Uh, that's, there's also, a wastewater allocation of $57 or, you know, basically water use, um, you know, for drinking water, potable water. Mm -hmm. And then a capital project cost of $7 and 50 cents. So what we're looking at, you know, do we need to do, you know, a capital, this is a capital project that we're looking at, (laughs) you know, basically shifting the whole drainage architecture of, of the service area. And, and I, you know, there are projects I think here and there, but again, coordinating, you know, across suburbs, across the different parts of the service area. I, I think it's safe to say that, um, Detroit and the Lower East Side, um, specifically were a bit of a nexus, you know, like our, our wastewater infrastructure, a lot passes through there. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, via interceptors that are placed around, um, you know, different parts of the city, and again, that that infrastructure is in pretty tough shape. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's really important to um, consider this. Yes, there's. It's not happening fast enough. Um, there are failures. You know, across you know, the concrete pump, pumping, pumping station and CSO relief um infrastructure yeah you know, it's under a lot of pressure but is there enough redundancy in the system right you know question number one um you know can we get communications and reliable electricity to our mdot uh pumping stations that are throughout the, the freeway system
0: Okay. Uh, Bill Schuster, professor and chair of the Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering here at Wayne State University. It was really great to have you here for this conversation. Thanks so much for joining
1: well, us. Well, I'm so pleased, Steve. And I can I throw in a plug sure. uh, for a book that's been pretty influential? Yeah. Uh, Alicia Montgomery is a friend of Detroit, which uh, is currently at Stanford, but she wrote a book called Greening the Black Urban Regime. Huh culture and commerce of sustainability in detroit and i'm considering making this required reading
0: for my <laughs> it sounds uh, like it should be <laughs>
1: undergraduates and graduate students uh, in in my department there's a lot of good civil environmental engineering in this book and it's it's translated basically she helps translate this through having spatial agency mm. and having a role in how we use space and the built environment here in detroit
0: yeah uh, what was her name again
1: it's alicia uh-huh. a-l-e-s-i-a montgomery okay and proud to say it's uh published in the wayne state university press
0: oh very good uh, that's somebody we we might want to welcome as a guest here on uh on Detroit today to talk about this subject. Definitely, so that's a great. Well,
1: point everybody, stay safe. Yeah, you know, it's it's a huge public service.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, we're gonna continue talking about infrastructure. But now we're gonna talk about it in a national context. Libby Casey, on-air reporter and anchor who covers politics and accountability for the Washington Post, is gonna join us to talk about the infrastructure bill that is still coming together in Washington and whether it might address some of these things that we are struggling with here in Southeast Michigan. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 101. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We've been talking about the ways our failing infrastructure is failing people here in southeast Michigan. Just about everyone in metro Detroit was affected in some way by this crazy storm and then all the flooding over the weekend. Uh, Now it looks, though, like we are going to have some progress at the federal level dealing with infrastructure woes. This was a top priority for the new administration In the White House. And now it looks like President Joe Biden might get his wish to get an infrastructure deal through Congress and onto his desk. But it's not the deal Biden or the Democrats originally wanted. Instead of the $3 trillion in new spending they originally proposed, this deal is about $1.2 trillion. And only $550 billion of that is new spending that Congress wasn't already on track to spend. Biden says he's not going to sign this bill without a follow-up bill that would include more money for things like child care, for health care, and for climate change. Still, this is such a rare example of actual compromise and bipartisanship in Washington. And maybe it's a sign of future cooperation on some other issues. Here to talk about the significance of this deal, as well as other big national news, is Washington Post on-air reporter and anchor, Libby Casey. Libby, welcome back to Detroit Good morning. Good morning. Thanks so much. It's great to have you here. So how significant is this deal, especially considering how small it is compared to where the president started?
3: Yeah, I'm so glad you started with the numbers, Stephen, because it actually is a significant and big package, but it's less than what President Biden had wanted. And of that more than $1 trillion, as you point out, only about half of that is new spending. And there are some disappointments here because the numbers aren't as big as the president wanted. But there are numbers and we can't overlook the significance of getting a bipartisan deal in this, you know, climate right now. This has Republicans and Democrats on board. And unless Democrats like Joe Manchin are willing to get rid of the filibuster, which they're not at this point, Democrats need Republicans. They need Republicans to pass this. So it actually was a huge breakthrough last week, exactly what Joe Biden pledged he would do, when he stood, you know, at the White House in front of this group of Democrats and Republicans and said, We have a deal. Um, it got complicated fast, though. It got complicated fast. And and one senator said, you know, usually you get 24 hours for a honeymoon, but we had like a couple of hours um, in, in Congress because Joe Biden, when he talked about this publicly, he said, I'm only gonna sign this if I also get that other spending bill that has other priorities. Now he did walk that back a bit over the weekend, because Republicans, you know, really, really got upset about that and said it's, you know, that you've kind of broken your promise to us. So Biden is now saying, look, we can do these on two separate tracks, which the White House has said all along. We can work on the infrastructure bill, and we can also be working on this other budget bill that would only need Democrats to vote for it, because budget bills, they can do this process called reconciliation, where they only need the Democrats to vote for it. We can do the other budget bill that can include things like Child care, elder care, climate change, you know, health care. Um, so for now, this infrastructure bill is still alive.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: So how
0: would Congress pay for this? And mm. and is there is there the opportunity, I guess, to come back a little later and add to the bill, which is yeah. what the which is what the president wanted it in the first place? Where, where, where is the money for all this going to come from?
3: So the pay-fors are uh, a big, important point. Now, the president has said he will not raise the gas tax or uh, user fees for electric vehicles, something I know that's important, where, where you are an important point of discussion. Um, and so there are no new taxes related to this. Instead, what they're going to do uh, is they're going to pull together increases in IRS enforcement Uh, So just getting some of those big, uh, you know, people who break the law with taxes, getting them to pay up, also selling off some of the petroleum reserves, the strategic petroleum reserves, and then some of that uh, COVID relief money that hasn't been used, that states aren't using, that can be reallocated. They'll also be working on municipal bonds and things like that. Um, The White House does want to roll back those Republican tax cuts, those Trump tax cuts, specifically in a couple of areas. One, Uh, the very wealthiest, and also corporations. But that was a no-go for Republicans. So that's not part of this uh, at this point. So they they do have a pay-for attached to it. Um, Now, that other bill that, you know, the Biden administration has said infrastructure isn't just roads and bridges, sewer systems. It's also people. (laughs) It's also educating our communities and keeping them healthy and safe and well. Now, that part is what's going to have to go into that big budget bill. That's going to be separate from this, by and large. Um, and the pay for there gets tricky. They only need Democrats to agree to the pay for on that one. Um, but, but that's where you may see more of an attempt to try to roll back those Trump tax cuts. Mm. And Stephen, I was trying to kind of look through this bill again, even as I was hearing your last conversation, because a big question is like, what does infrastructure mean, you know, where you live?
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and that is the question of, of the day here, of course, is yeah. whether a bill like this would help us with mm-hmm. this I mean we are having you know an increasingly hard time managing the, the storms that are more frequent and more violent uh, here in southeast Michigan and and there isn't money there isn't money to do the things that we need to do with the, the wastewater and the stormwater system. If this bill gets signed, is it enough is it enough of a step I guess in that, in the direction of fixing things at the local level that we would notice mm-hmm. a difference?
3: Yeah. You know, the Biden administration had wanted to get money in there for updating the drinking water systems, Mm -hmm. also wastewater and storm systems. Mm -hmm. As you point out, it's on a cutting room floor. It didn't make it in. Um, Another thing that the administration wants to do is make sure to replace the nation's lead pipes. Um, Now, there is some money for that. There's about, I think, about 20 million dollars, but that's only about a fifth, even less than that of what they had wanted. But it is something. Um, and and there are things in this bill that that Democrats and Republicans all say has to happen to make this country sort of functional and prosperous. And that's you know roads, bridges, uh, passenger and freight rail gets money, public transit gets money. Um, and and these are still significant line items. Another thing that comes in there is updating power lines and also broadband. Um, there is money in there for 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 water issues, about fifty five billion dollars for water. Uh, it, it this is a negotiation and so what you'll hear from the white house is no one gets everything they want and that's the nature of a negotiation but mm-hmm. we're getting we we we're we're, 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 ma- we're making that down payment we're getting things rolling the budget process that i keep rolling us back to they can get some more things in there related to climate change which you know may ultimately be a factor in trying to deal with some of the the changes as infrastructure has to get developed to to adapt to floods and fires and things like that so there is another chance to get a bite of the apple it's just complicated because what the white house is trying to do is run these two tracks at the same time the Mm -hmm. infrastructure bill and then this you know this other budget bill the reconciliation bill and what happened over the weekend that was so problematic and and late last week was that republicans started to say we're not going to do any of this if you're saying you'll only do them both together so that's what the president sort of walked back on a little bit, but you know, they they still have to keep going in tandem because, for example, Speaker Pelosi said last week, they're gonna to wait to make sure the Senate can pass both those big bills before the House acts. Hmm. So this is gonna be a long process of like things inching along. You'll hear that it's you'll hear that it's doomed, and then you'll hear that it's saved, and <laughs> you'll hear that it's doomed again. So it's not gonna happen right away. And Congress goes home a lot in the summer. Right. And, you know, they go home a lot. They're gone for most
0: of it, right?
3: Gone for so much of it. So they need to be back here in Washington negotiating this. When they go home, though, they're supposed to be working. And so they should be talking to their constituents, hearing what the priorities are. I mean, that's supposed to be a work period. They call it a work period, even though we think of it as a recess. Um, So, you know, there has to the work has to keep continuing, but expect this to last throughout the summer and go into the fall Um, but, but this is where the big focus is right now. You know, we saw, we saw the voting rights bill killed recently. There are other ways that they may try to attack that. There are other priorities Democrats have, but right now, this is where the Biden administration has to put their efforts to try to get something passed. Yeah.
0: So, so I also want to talk about the relationship between this issue and these negotiations and some of the other priorities that the Biden White House still has on its agenda and of course the, the 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 subject that I think is on a lot of people's minds is police reform and and whether we can get a deal on that bill because of the compromises that were made in the infrastructure deal I would I would imagine that from the White House perspective that's that's the goal right you, you, mm. you get things going you build momentum and maybe it carries over um but, but, but give us a sense of how well that strategy is likely to work given, given the, the, the climate for, for these negotiations in Washington and, you know, given how difficult it was to, just to get to this point with infrastructure.
3: I mean, we're still here in Washington. You know, there are still a lot of Republicans who serve in Congress who are, aren't acknowledging that January 6 was an attack on the Capitol, mm-hmm. an attack on democracy, and that Joe Biden wasn't, you know, lawfully elected president. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you if you use that as your baseline, that that's the low bar. But the fact that there are these negotiations happening, uh, you know, I guess does make some people hopeful, right? The fact that you could have you know five senators to 10 senators on each side working on the infrastructure deal and then you do have people lawmakers continuing to work on police reform you know that's sort of the the more functional definition of washington Mm. now we did hear some news on that uh thursday and this was on the eve of course of derek chauvin being sentenced yes Um, So the night before that happened, we did hear from some of the negotiators on the police reform bill that they had reached a framework, but it's very preliminary. And they still haven't hashed out some of the toughest and biggest issues like reforming qualified immunity, which police officers have. Um, That's been a real sticking point in that process. I covered the Chauvin sentencing on Friday, and you Mm -hmm. heard over and over again from people you know so closely touched by the murder of george floyd that they want to see congress act and they want to see Hmm. them move forward so you did have that as a moment to you know remind the nation that that legislation is still outstanding Hmm. um they they can be doing both these things at once it's just that you know the white house has to sort of figure out where its focus is going to be now That doesn't stop though the Senate from acting that doesn't stop other legislators from working. Um, and so these things can be happening, you know, uh, at the same time, it's just at what point will they finally come to fruition at what point point will they either be dead (laughs) or, or or will they really come to fruition in a way that can make a difference?
0: Well, uh, the, the attention these days is always on Joe Manchin who's a, a senator from West Virginia, a Democrat, but also a pretty conservative Democrat from a state that uh, that votes Republican in presidential uh, contests and elects a lot of local Republicans. Uh, talk about where he plays a role in both infrastructure and police reform at this point.
3: He's so pivotal. He's so pivotal. And, you know, it's his his role here. Cannot be overstated because Mm -hmm. if Democrats want to pass even basic things, they need him on board because they need all 50 Democrats and independents who caucus with them united. And that's where even like that budget bill I keep referring to that, you know, they got to get Manchin on board with that, too. They've got to get Senator Sinema from Arizona Mm -hmm. on board with that, too. And in a case like police reform, though, they've got to get Republicans on board unless they're willing to forego the filibuster. Yeah. So someone who's pivotal there is Senator Tim Scott, the right. only black Republican serving in the Senate. He's one of the negotiators. So he's one to watch on police reform. But people like Manchin just have a lot of sway right now. And it's frustrating and bedeviling to, to <laughs> a lot of Democrats who feel like, you know, this guy is is is, he's is plotting a lot. He is in control. But. Yeah. You know, he is having conversations. He says that he's open to various, you know, various priorities of Democrats. It's just that even in that party, you got Bernie Sanders there, you got Joe Manchin (laughs) there, you got to get them on the same team. Yeah,
0: yeah. Okay. Libby Casey of the Washington Post, it is always really great to talk with you. Thanks so much for joining us here on Detroit. Thank you. Okay, that's going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when we're going to hear from author Clint Smith about his new book, How the Word is Passed, a reckoning with the history of slavery across America. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. Stay dry, and we will talk again tomorrow.